Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 414, air date November 5th, 2018. All right, everyone here. I am live with Shiva Ayadurai interviewing him. I believe you're in Massachusetts at the moment. Exactly. That's where I am. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Trust me. Now, uh, I wanted to get a little bit into first and foremost, just getting to know you for people who aren't aware, actually, people in my audience, they may not have any idea whatsoever who you are. Uh, I wanted to get into a little bit about your campaign, you know, your party, your affiliation, your views, uh, your platform. If you just wanted to start off and tell people, uh, basically introduce who you are and what you stand for, I think that would be great for people. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me into the audience out there. Really appreciate this opportunity. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Uh, you know, I came from India in 1970 as an immigrant, a legal immigrant. My parents came here on essentially a merit-based uh, immigration model. I went through the New Jersey public school systems in the 70s, uh, came to MIT, did four degrees in and out of there, started seven different companies, and I'm running for U.S. Senate. You know, not only was my journey as an inventor in scientists, but I also had a journey as a political activist throughout my life, uh, really as someone who wanted to uh, change the world for the better. So running for United States Senate is a natural evolution of that as a scientist, as an inventor, and also as an activist. But fundamentally, you know, I'm running as an independent. You know, the slogan of our campaign, as you can see behind us, is declare your independence, um, because I believe both of these political parties and est essentially establishment parties have nothing to do with serving you or I, they essentially serve their government, their healthcare system, and their economy. So that's why I'm running for uh, United States Senate, because I believe I can make a difference. And more importantly, I think it's really important that uh, everyday people be involved in governance. You know, people like you and I, uh, people who create not lawyer lobbyists like Elizabeth Warren or career politicians. I think I can hear the Jared Holt article now regarding uh, you being too far right for the Republican Party. I'm sure that's how he'll spin it. Uh, now, you're actually running against Elizabeth Warren. Uh, some people might interject. I wouldn't, but some people might. In a state like Massachusetts that's so massively blue, uh, what do you think can be brought to the table? What would be the advantage of being an independent in that state as opposed to having maybe a Republican fundraising apparatus behind them? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, uh, when you really look at the mathematics, the actual numbers, which sometimes people ignore, uh, Massachusetts is actually a state of independence. You know, there are 2.3 million unenrolled uh, registered voters in Massachusetts. 30% um, less than that, about 1.5 million registered Democrats, and even far less than that, uh, uh, less than a half a million registered Republicans. So that's the landscape here, around 4.3 million registered voters. So Massachusetts is fundamentally this, a, a state of independence. You know, it was the cradle of the American Revolution, and that spirit still exists here. When you look at Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, look, I'm a math guy, went to MIT, got all my degrees from there, know how to do math, but you don't need to do math when you're out on the street and you're putting out flyers, be it at Whole Foods or the train station. The fundamental reaction of people is, uh, they're holding their nose sticks and voting for Elizabeth Warren. They don't really like her, you know, and and because it's toxic to be an R in the state. Furthermore, the mass GOP and the Republicans in this state are essentially irrelevant. But uh, I offer a real alternative to that because Massachusetts, if you know, is really known for innovation. It's the only thing Massachusetts does really well at number one in innovation. But that's the 33,000 businesses that came from the high tech Votech school down the street called MIT. 
The other part of Massachusetts, when you look at the infrastructure, one of the worst infrastructures in, in the country, when you look at public integrity, uh, rated, I think, a D plus. And then when you look at the actual uh, aspect of opioid addiction, three times the national average. That's what we have in Massachusetts, all brought to you by the sewer of what I call Harvard, right? Uh, <laughs> Mitt Romney, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Baker, the current Republican rhino governor, and and uh, Elizabeth Warren. So in that landscape, I think people are ready for a real alternative because the Harvard lawyer lobbyists are the ones who believe they have a hegemony of entering politics in the state. And I think people are done with that. Remember, one million people voted for Trump in the state. It's not a small number when he only put around 20, 30,000 um, into, into, into the state. People always say, well, Hillary got two and he got one. That's not the issue. The issue is he got one million votes and I need about 800, 900,000 to win. It's very, very interesting because both Elizabeth Warren and Mitt Romney both today were trending. It's interesting, the connection there with Warren, of course, being you know, your Democratic opponent. Mitt Romney, he's wandered off to the Southwest, I think, right now. Uh, but one thing I've got to say here really quickly is I can't actually see your video. I think it may have been disabled somehow. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah, somebody in chat mentioned I, I wanted to let you finish, but uh, see. see if we can on, let me go back this. again here. Maybe Google doesn't want us to have a fully fleshed out conversation. It's too it's too powerful I, for them. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. There we go. Let's join again. No, it's still uh, on audio only, I believe. That's okay. We can carry on with just audio if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way around it. Google's Google's suppression uh, in action. But I wanted to hear uh, your thoughts. One thing that I thought people would be very interested to hear, because I know one of your slogans, uh, I believe, or one thing that you've said before is uh, why not vote for a real Indian as opposed to Elizabeth Warren, uh, of course, saying that she's Native American, which we know is not uh, apparently actually true. She actually did show up at that tribal council meeting. Uh, for the uh, the Native American tribes of the United States, a few days ago, I can remember seeing. Is that uh, better? I just there, got I right back yep. in. There you go. Sorry about that. Can you see video now? Yep, I can see it now. Okay, sorry about that. Yep. All right, perfect. But uh, she was uh, uh, talking about. She wasn't on the rolls to address the tribal council, and people were joking about it because, of course, she's the only person in the legislature who actually claimed Native American heritage. She did end up, though, showing up unexpectedly and then reaming Trump uh, on his use of the term Pocahontas. Actually, I was wondering what your thoughts were about that entire fiasco, because I think if we think of Elizabeth Warren, unless you're a Democrat and you're a fan of her, probably the best way, the best uh, thing that you know about her is, is her role with Trump, honestly. Yeah, well, look, you know, here's a reality. Elizabeth Warren is a racist. And this may be hard for people like Jared Holt or Media Matters or the essentially the liberal racist to understand, but she is fundamentally the racist. Look, when I look at this whole issue, I have a very different view as a journey of a low caste Indian guy who came from India with nothing and went through the American journey and have, have great respect for this country. You know, in India, my mom said you could get discriminated nine different ways in America, three. But if you worked hard, which was a principle of meritocracy and the rule of law, that's why a lot of immigrants came here, Sticks, because meritocracy and the rule of law is what makes this country great. And that's why a lot of people come here. Now, if you look at Elizabeth Warren, here's a woman who used race for her own benefit. Racism is not someone, in my opinion, calling you the N-word or calling you all sorts of other names. That's ignorance. That's not racism. 
Racism is people who have access to massive amounts of capital, assets, and influence who use race or uh, use race to their benefit. That's what a racist is by the classic, in my view, the fundamental uh, foundational definition of it. That's what Elizabeth Warren is. Here's a woman who knows about affirmative action, which was a gain of the civil rights movement, albeit it's not perfect, but it was a, a bone that they threw, the Democrats threw to people out in the streets to calm them down. But regardless, affirmative action was a policy that was set in place to help everyday people who were, in some ways, you could argue, diminish. Well, Elizabeth Warren used that, lied on her Harvard application, and shoplifted Native American identity to get in. And then when she's called out on it, she uses racism again and calls Trump racist. This is the epitome of racism, and this is a level of hubris people who occupy you know, what I call the sewer that feeds a swamp in D.C., which is Harvard University, do. You know, so it's a it's a massive level of racism. And look, I've been you know, I've lived in in India. I've lived here. I grew up in Patterson, predominantly African-American. I grew up in working class neighborhoods. When I look at Massachusetts as a whole and the one mile radius around Harvard University, that is the center of racism, exploitation and the military industrial academic complex. That's what Elizabeth Warren represents. If anything, she is a face of the deep state. She's got Harvard on one hand, which is part of the academic complex. You know, she supports Monsanto, you know, the most one of the most evil companies. She sits on the Armed Services Committee. She actually sent back weapons which were denied by Chuck Hagel. Right. I mean, by the military. So you're talking about uh, someone who's what I call the not so obvious establishment to all the liberals listening out there. Listen carefully. You're looking at the kind of person who you guys claim you want to help the, you know, the poor darky. Right. Well, I'm here. I've done well. And I'm the one who uh, in many ways deserves a right to represent the people of Massachusetts. It's a state of innovators. It's a state of people who work hard. And it's a state of meritocracy. Elizabeth Warren, you know, Harvard claims it's all about meritocracy, but she cut in line. And that's why people like Elizabeth Warren also want illegal immigrants to cut in line. Right now, if you look at the bill that that's in Congress, it fundamentally uh, says that 1.8 million illegal immigrants in cut in line ahead of roughly 1.5 legal immigrants who've been waiting in line some 10, 20 years for their visa applications, et cetera. So this is the policy of Elizabeth Warren and essentially what I call the uh, left wing of the establishment, right, which is what the Democratic Party is. They're used to manipulate the people on the street to drive them back into the establishment. Same with a guy like Bernie Sanders, et cetera. And in the last few weeks, as a run up to the idea of, of the left really representing sort of the racism or bigotry within the United States in the way that they use people like pawns, would you say that that extends as well to sexism? Because I know in the last couple of weeks, we've had a number of left leaning media sites that have been embroiled in scandals involving, uh, I believe it was Vice uh, Media, Vice News as a subsidiary of theirs, uh, and pay discrimination. There is at least one lawsuit going on at the Young Turks. Uh, there have been other problems as well, to the point at which some people have quit their jobs uh, in protest on these topics. Would you say that it goes beyond racism and it goes into bigotry in general? The, the use, essentially, of wedges that can be driven in between groups of people to try to carve out 51% of a voting block, would you say that that's primarily been uh, a liberal tactic, at least in maybe the post-Carter-Reagan era? Yeah, look, when you really look at globalism, or what I call imperialism, the two pillars that the globalists and the imperialists use to divide up people are racism and sexism slash feminism, right? 
And they're very, very clever about this because the reality is there is, let's say, oppression of people of color. There is oppression of women. Okay, let's that exists. But what these guys do is they uh, they use a very insidious form of pointing racism and feminism. So on racism, they never address the issue of the majority of poor blacks, by the way, which uh, are very similar to the extent of poor whites in this country. No one discusses that either, right? The mortality rates of poor whites have gone up um, significantly over anyone else in, in the world right now. But poor whites and poor blacks as a group are pitted against each other. So we never discuss the fact, look, Jay-Z and Oprah Winfrey have very little to do with poor blacks, right? So they use race in a very clever way to manipulate uh, uh poor whites and poor blacks who essentially have the same enemy, which is the establishment. On the other hand, when it comes to feminism, these people are really talking about bourgeois feminism, right? They want more people like Hillary Clinton, more people like Martha Stewart, you know, more people like Meryl Streep. They're not talking about everyday women who, in Elizabeth Warren's own staff, I think she was paying people less than uh, 70% equivalent to the, to the male counterpart. So they don't want to discuss the issue of the American worker, black or white, women are male. So they love pitting men against women, black against white, because that gives them the this, uh, uh, the, you know, this false narrative that they are fighting for the black man. They're fighting for women when it's all BS. What they're really fighting for is the control of votes and control of manipulating, you know, uh, large masses of people, women, blacks to come to their side. Elizabeth Warren you know, has, you know, her life that she operates now has nothing to do with ordinary women or ordinary uh, people of color or everyday white people. She's talking about her bourgeois clan, her elites at Harvard, and that set of people. She's completely disconnected from the mass of the American working people. Now, you dared to criticize both Oprah Winfrey and people associated with, with the left and sort of that identity politics. So a lot of people are going to look at your candidacy. Um, some people would see, well, he claims to be independent, but he sounds a lot like a Republican. Uh, in order to dissuade them from this view, what would you say about maybe some Republicans who, who honestly have done the same thing over time? Maybe a John McCain, uh, a Mitt Romney, uh, who, of course, has abandoned Massachusetts. He left behind his car elevator, and now he wants to pretend that he's been roughing it uh, in the Southwest, making a salsa farm or something. What would you say about uh, Republicans like that? Are, are they fundamentally similar in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sticks, you bring up a great, great point. If you, you know, when I look at political dynamics, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a deep student of this, and I've studied with people like Chomsky. I've studied, uh, you know, caste systems. People, you know, Chomsky is considered a leftist. But what one of the most important things, whether you look at the whole arc of political histories, there's three dynamics that come out. And I think once you understand these three dynamics, by the way, which no one wants to really teach you because then it removes the veil of the nonsense is one dynamic is the establishment. Right. Those people want to keep things as they are. Then you have on the other side, change agents. And change agents are typically not perfect. They don't speak the right way. They don't have beautiful scripts and political consultants. They're people who march in the streets to get women's rights, people's names we don't even know about. Uh, civil rights, it wasn't Martin Luther King, sorry. You know, it was people's <laughs> names we don't know about. Um, those people are the change agents. And in the middle of that, you have the third group, which is probably the more insidious group, who I call the not-so-obvious establishment. And if you look at this past election, what's amazing to learn from this when you look at someone like Romney or, or the Bushes is that the establishment 
uh, congealed around Hillary Clinton. So you had the Romneys, the Bushes, the Obamas and the Clintons all came together because they were so afraid of a change agent called Donald Trump, who was speaking to everyday Americans who were forgotten. And, and the liberals don't want to talk about this or even the quote unquote conservatives like John McCain or Mitt Romney, because Trump hit a dog whistle when he started talking about the forgotten man. You know, no one was addressing the issue of poor whites, the elites in Hollywood and the elites at, you know, on the East Coast thought these guys are, quote unquote, rednecks or stupid. But they had fundamental issues that were not being addressed. So those were the changes. And that was represented by Donald Trump. Now, what's really amazing to watch is in the midst of that, you have someone like Bernie Sanders shows up. He's a not so obvious establishment. He's the recurrent uh, nonsense that takes place in American history who suck the energy, the anger, the passion out of the anti-establishment forces on the street and tell them, oh, vote for me and I'll give you a better day. And what did he do? He brought all of his votes back to Hillary Clinton. I had a lot of my friends saying, hey, you should vote for Bernie. I said, look, he's going to do exactly what Jesse Jackson did in 1984. He sold out to Walter Mondale claiming, you know, uh, Reagan was this awful thing. And it's a lesser of two evils model. And I think the historic opportunity we have right now, Sticks, is that people are tired of this lesser of two evil, evil model. And what better place to destroy that than Massachusetts? And I think that's a historic opportunity here. And I think what better candidate than myself, who's gone through the American journey in many ways, who embodies the American dream. And, you know, I've fulfilled all the promise, uh, you know, or, or honored this country. So I think that's what the opportunity is. So someone like a Mitt Romney is part of that establishment, you see? Here's a guy, Bain Capital, came from um, that essential, uh, you know, legacy admissions model to Harvard, right? If you really trace his background, here's a guy who made $700 million flipping methadone clinics, right? So this, this is part of the swamp economy, right? You see an opportunity, you aggregate methadone clinics and you flip them. He, you know, the guy basically moves around money, but really has never really created anything himself. And one should wonder, could he ever create anything if he ever came from not the Romney family. But that's what Mitt Romney is. He's part of the swamp, uh, part of the sewer, in fact, that feeds the swamp. So you can you would consider yourself one of those who want to drain the swamp over time. Now, I personally think if you self-identified as a liberal, probably uh, instead of taking flack on saying, well, you know, I, I developed the term email and, and I went to MIT and I'm trying to run for office, I think you'd be considered a genius within the Democratic Party, to tell the truth, for partisan reasons. Uh, it, it, would there be any truth to it if I were to if I were to ask this? Were you at any time a liberal, and then you realized that the left was messed up, or did, or were you independent to begin with? Like in your yeah. political journey, how what meanderings did your political journey take you? It's a, great, it's a great question. Look, if you talk to my friends who knew me when I was a uh, eighteen-year-old kid burning the South African flag on the steps <laughs> of MIT after having led one of the biggest protests. Um, and exposing MIT and the liberal hypocrisy of MIT, they say Shiva hasn't changed. If anything, my anger and my passion against the establishment has accelerated. People say, you know, you calm down, but I haven't. I've learned more. And in fact, I'm more disgusted with the establishment. So my politics, because of, you know, it's hard for each one of us to walk in anyone's shoes sticks. But my journey is a kid who grew up in the caste system of India. Think about it. We were, you had the priesthood, you had the kings, you know, whatever the politicians, you had the business people. And then there were the shudras, like the N-word, right? So by any you know chance, you there's not a lot of Indians like me in America. 
My parents should never have even made it here, but they're extraordinary people for who they are, fighters at the end of the day. So I consider me, me being able to come to uh, America an extraordinary opportunity. Everything else is icing on the cake. And I believe, Sticks, that I owe not only to those people in India, but every other working American, because I identify with them at a very fundamental level. You see, that's what moves me. I've been very fortunate to get all this education, but I see them as weapons in the fight against the establishment. And if I don't use them, then I'm essentially, you know, uh, a waste, right? So I see my journey as a small slice in this long arc of, of fighting the establishment. So if anything, I've always been anti-establishment because as a kid, when I saw that I was given water in a different cup, right? As a five-year-old, I had to start asking fundamental questions. When I went through the journey, as I saw segregation in this country, as I saw even at MIT, an institution which claimed to be a liberal institution, but the contradictions at MIT held, right? Here they're talking about they're against uh, you know, racism and oppression, yet they treat their own food service workers horribly and they, you know, uh, feed kids trash in the student cafeteria. You see what I'm saying? So these contradictions have never gone away uh, for me or, or and, and the desire not to fight them has never gone away. So if anything, I've been anti-establishment, if anything, a revolutionary at best, you know, and, and that theme has not changed. So I never thought I would ever participate in conventional politics. But when Trump won, you know, after I saw Jesse Jackson sell out in 84, I said, you know, F both of these parties. But when Trump run, here was a guy who was attacking the media, attacking the establishment, right? And he was using that platform. He didn't sell out. And I, whatever reason he did it for, it's irrelevant. But he did a historic duty uh, to the American people by using that platform to hammer away. If he doesn't even pass one bill, it's irrelevant to me, you know? The fact that he used that platform to do that, that is huge, you know, and, and uh, he's done a historic duty for people. And, and this this truth, you know, the liberals do not want to understand because they are fundamentally uh, bourgeois oppressors, part of the establishment. Right. And and they're more insidious than, you know, what they would call the quote unquote right wing oppressor. So I've essentially been anti-establishment, you know, sort of the short of it. And uh, I think we have a huge opportunity with Elizabeth Warren because she is the face of the deep state. She is the face of the not so obvious establishment. She's a fake fighter. She's a fake Indian. I think that I've actually I think I think that others have actually mentioned the fact that she's tried to cast herself as being an outsider while basically adopting you know, 90, 95 percent of the sort of inside lines. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, as an independent candidate, as opposed to someone who's shielded by a major party, have you noticed that you yourself or anybody else, you know, sort of on board with you, friends, other people, maybe colleagues or whatever, uh, have you noticed being censored or suppressed uh, by big tech on one hand? And number two, what are your thoughts about alternative technology? Not all tech is in as in all right, obviously, uh, but all tech is in uh, some of these sites that have sprung up lately specifically geared towards free speech because they see, I believe, that there's a problem and, and there's money uh, potentially to be made as well uh, in branching out into sort of free speech geared uh, technology. Yeah, I, I think you're talking broadly also about media, I assume, right, Six? Yes. Yeah. So, so here's the interesting thing, right? What, you know, I was the first one to announce in February 2017. In fact, one year ago at Mike Cernovich had a bull moose party and I announced, you know, at CPAC. Um, for three months, the mass GOP never even invited me to meet with them. My attorney, whose friend had raised a lot of money, said, how come you haven't met with Shiva? Finally, the GOP met with me, which is a Massachusetts GOP. 
And what's fascinating was they surrounded me around a table. This is the leadership. And they said, why did you vote for Donald Trump? Okay. This is a Republican party in Massachusetts was confused why I, as a registered Republican, voted for Donald Trump. All right. <laughs> so uh, from that point on, you know, to get on the ballot in Massachusetts, you have to get 10,000 signatures as a Republican and so many delegates. We went, you know, we, we have a beautiful bus. You guys may have seen pictures of it. We started going across Massachusetts, visiting town by town, standing ovations wherever we went. The Boston Globe, in the midst of this, writes an article, okay, about the GOP candidates running. Well, interesting enough, they put the three other candidates, two of them who hadn't even announced, and they leave the dark guy out of it. So I, and this is a liberal Boston Globe, Jim Sullivan. So I hit him hard. I said, racist Jim Sullivan has left me out, you know, three pictures, you leave Shiva out. So it went viral on the internet. This guy who's never called me calls me at home. And he says, how come you call me a racist? I said, well, because you are a racist. Because, you know, you put the three white guys and you left the dark guy out. He goes, oh, my intern forgot to do that. All right. So that is a So what you're seeing there, Sticks, is the Boston Globe, which is the darling liberal media. And then they have the flip side of it, which is the Boston Herald, which isn't much bad, which claims to be right, but they're really not. These guys want to control the narrative. So they want a bunch of dopey people running against Warren. They surely don't want, you know, the guy who's articulate, who looks good, can get up and destroy Warren on the stage because that's not going to work. So they have to put other idiots out there, which is what these three other Republican idiots are. So you've seen that when the free speech rally took place. It was like a Braveheart incident right here's 40 of us facing 40,000 people. And if anyone hears my speech, I attack Hillary Clinton for calling you know, uh, black children, super predators. I attack, uh, you know, Joe Biden for saying that, you know, the only reason he liked uh, Obama was because he was the first articulate black man he'd seen. That's what we did. And we also exposed GMOs. That speech was never aired because, again, the truly racist mayor of Boston, the quote unquote Democrat, Marty Walsh, and the other racist Republican rhino, Charlie Baker, they used race again. They said, oh, Charlottesville. We're up for re-election. Let's use the black folk here and tell them we so stand against segregation. That's what they did. Meanwhile, Boston, by the way, this is an interesting point. Within the two mile radius, three mile radius of Elizabeth Warren's home, the average net worth of a black person is $8, $8. No error in that. So we're talking about a set of politicians who are highly racist. They control the media. So, they, I mean, think about it. I mean, someone like me, puts fear in their heart. Absolute fear. So they leave me out of the Boston Globe. They call the free speech rally. I was called a Nazi, right? A racist. Which, oh, by the way, I've, I've got to get into that as well when, when I have a moment here. That was but, so yeah. funny. So, so, what I, so what I'm saying is you see that piece taking place and you can also see, you know, on these new technologies, for example, like Twitter and Facebook. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good technologist but you can start seeing how certain, you know, we try to take out an ad, you know, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian and they won't allow that ad to go out, right? Um, so it's fascinating, a, a set of, there's a definition of racism that people think they own the hegemony of, right? Calling Elizabeth Warren as a racist is as appalling to these people, but that is what she is, right? But it's, it's, it's amazing that I call her a racist, people find that appalling, but these same people like an idiot like Jared Holt uh, is fine with calling me a racist. Unbelievable. This is a level of moral narcissism that's taking place. These people are part of religious cults in many ways. And they have a very 
bounded view, a very narrow view of human culture and existence. And so a guy like me is supposed to sit in the lotus position, tilt my head like this and be nonviolent. They like that. That's a good Indian. But an Indian who defends the fact that he invented email, an Indian who fights back, an Indian who calls you know, Elizabeth Warren racist, that's not acceptable to them. You got to call me a racist. So that's the level of racism and, and um, you know, uh, uh, disgusting behavior these people practice, you know, and that needs to be fought. And that's why I love this election so much, because it's a huge opportunity for me to take my long journey as 53 years old and hammer at these people every freaking day sticks. It's awesome. I think what the liberals really want is for you to kneel and kiss their ring and the, the, their glorious uh, benevolence for, you know, offering you welfare handouts or something, honestly. Uh, but yeah, I did want to talk about that really briefly, about the right wing watch inclusion. Jared Holt, I believe, must have been the one involved here because he's the one that does the Internet stuff. And, and everyone who's watching here, if you're subscribed to this channel, you know who Jared Holt is. We, we all know what he stands for. I'm sure he's probably watching this now with bated breath. You uh, were the butt of a right wing watch posting on their actual video there. Because they came out and they said that, uh, that you... I'm getting a little bit of an echo right now, actually. I'm getting a little bit of an echo right now, actually. Like a sphere echo. How about now? Are you? Anything? Like a sphere echo. No, I'm, I'm still getting it. Do you, do you, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still getting it. Do you, do you, uh, yeah. How about now? Testing, testing? I don't Testing, hear. testing? No, yeah, it's still there. You. Yeah, it's still there. Let me, uh, mute there. my audio for a second. Uh, and still there. Let me, uh, mute my audio for a second. How about that? Is that better? Testing, testing. Is that better? Yep, that's better. Anyway, better? I was... Yes, it's it's perfect. Okay, good. So what I did was I turned off the speaker on mine. Okay, so I won't yeah. be uh, when when you talk, I'll have to turn it back on. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's so the Google Gremlins again. But but what I was gonna say is, Right Wing Watch did a write up about you and actually a little bit of a video there where you blessed the Keck statue. And then I guess the inference was you must have uh, a deep seated racial hatred inside of you. you must be a white ethno nationalist. So I was gonna give you the chance to debunk that. And, and come out and, and disavow, disavow uh, maybe uh, being a neo-Nazi, because uh, that uh, appears to be what they are inferring. Okay, can you hear me now without any echo? Is that all right? Yep. So yep. here's the deal. Yeah, I'm definitely a neo-Nazi. I'm definitely a racist, so I want to admit that. Thanks, Gerald Holt, for giving me the opportunity to do that. Look, the guy's a complete numbskull, okay? Uh, I, you look at his uh, background, I don't think the guy's probably read m many books, probably has no idea of anything. Uh, so look, uh, a guy like Millennial Matt, is that his name? You know, we were driving around our bus and uh, it was on Super Bowl Sunday and we were inviting people to say, hey, uh, tell us where they are. We'd come deliver them a flyer or a, 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 a you know, lawn sign. And, and you know, he uh, asked us to do that. So our volunteers met with him. And uh, I consider this guy a performance artist, okay? That's what he fundamentally is. And if you fundamentally look, you know, this Keck symbol, and by the way, the frog symbol in Hinduism is a symbol of transformation. It's about ending the old, taking the new. In, in some ways, it's, it's creative destruction. You know, Shiva, the destroyer, has both aspects, destruction, transformation. So, uh, but, you know, morons like this guy, Jared Holt, probably have not studied anything about archetypal 
uh, history or Joseph Campbell. They know none of this, right? So they have a very, very narrow lens of, and that's what the educational system produces, by the way, people like him. So when you look at a symbol like Keck and Pepe and Groyper, you know, I consider them very, very cool, cutting edge symbols, but they're fundamentally anti-establishment symbols. You know, some guy did a beautiful drawing of the Groyper and we took it, you know, I owned it and we put no to Monsanto on it because fundamentally these symbols are coming out from the base of people who are, had, have had enough of, of morons like Jared Holt, you know, uh, Soros as people trying to linearly condense people to a finite set of thinking. So, you know, praise be to Keck, you know, I'll say it again, praise be to Keck because praise be to destruction, praise be to revolution and the overthrow of, of this establishment nonsense, you know? So I think, uh, it, and by the way, no one is going to tell me who I can bow down to or not. That's racist, you know? And Jared Holt thinks he's, you know, some little white guy sitting with his corn cob, you know, on the plantation. Well, it doesn't work with this guy, you know? I'm not willing to be his field end, you know, as Malcolm X said. So now, that's you, a fundamental issue. You say, oh, go ahead. Say that again? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, look, you know, one of my heroes, you know, we have his picture hanging up here is Malcolm X. You know, we have a Trump hat here. We got Malcolm X here. Right. You know, the richness of one's uh, person's political dimensions can be quite rich. You know, to narrow it to a finite set of things is what these fascists want to do fundamentally. You know, in my view, Malcolm went through a very interesting journey. Any, everyone should read Autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, at the end of his journey, when Malcolm X finally realized that it is not black versus white, but it's the oppressor versus the oppressed. And in his very famous speech, he said, ultimately, there will be a clash between the oppressed and those who do the oppressing, but it will not be based on the color of the skin. And so, you know, and then a few months later, I think he was shot because that's when he became dangerous. As long as an Indian guy is a Democrat, you know, speaks, you know, and is meek and prays to Gandhi, you know, nonviolent movements and all this kind of nonsense. That's acceptable to the white elite establishment like Elizabeth Warren. That's why I call them racist. You know, a guy like me puts fear into their hearts. And that's why they want to segregate people like me and want to keep them out of the equation. But that's where that's where it gets a lot of fun, because we have an opportunity. Think about this, man. The Trumpers, the uh, minorities, the people, the Groypers, you know, uh, we have a, a legal immigrants. We have this ability to build this very interesting multi-dimensional heterogeneous coalition. That's integration, which the liberal elite know nothing about. They're, they're actually about segregation at a very fundamental level. And as one final question here, I wanted to ask, are you 100% against all forms of censorship, especially uh, in, the, in the essence of being online? And I think somehow you've just gotten muted. So just a second here. What did I just do? Ooh. I just do. There you oh. go. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. So look, the fundamental issue is the, you know, I look at this as an engineer sticks and the way I look at the world is um, everyone should be responsible. I call it truthful free speech. Look, if I produce a piece of software and I've done seven different companies, right? When I produce a piece of software or a Toyota produces a car, right? they have a thing called product liability. Yeah, you can produce whatever you want, but once you put it out there, if that thing is wrong and it kills people, you are liable and people can sue you. That's the name of the game. That's how market forces uh, control this whole system, right? 
Well, I consider media itself a product, right? You put an article together, you put it out there. The second, the first amendment, I'm sorry, gives us amazing opportunity to talk. Now in politics, the, the anti-slap rules uh, give you even more uh, you know, wide range. But the reality is if you say something untruthful, you know, that's like uh, Toyota built brakes that didn't work. You know, they had a, they lost $16 billion in share value and had to pay uh, millions of dollars out. Well, expect that. That's why we sued Gawker Media, you know, and it was good that they were taken down. Here were a bunch of scumbags writing all sorts of garbage whenever they wanted. That's fine. You can do that if that's your business model, clickbaiting. But if you get ready to get sued. So, it was a, so that's about truthful free speech. The First Amendment does not allow defamation and libel. You can do it, but get ready to get sued also. So I believe in truthful free speech, you know, and I think both are important. So I, again, I look at this as you're creating a product and be ready to uh, recognize what are the bounds of your consumer and what you what can occur to you. So I think I think that makes the whole market dynamics a fair market dynamics. And so non-criminal free so speech, non would that basically be a synonym? Basically be a synonym? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Definitely. I, I think and, what you mean is free and, speech where you're not trying to destroy someone, right? Yes. Yeah. And, definitely. And, I, yes. I mean, look, and, and, the First Amendment and the Second Amendment go so hand in hand together. One of the important things that we forget with the First Amendment, look, as the guy who invented the first email system in 1997, when email volume, if you look at it, exceeded snail mail volume, I met with the official the Postal Service and I said, look, you guys need to start offering email as a public utility. Now, why did I say that? Because when the founders of this country put the Second Amendment in place, they also created the Postal Service, which allowed me to send you a physical letter and no one could intervene with it. In fact, if they did, 20 year sentence in prison. When Google and uh, Facebook or Hotmail, right, they came along, we all got quote unquote free email, but we gave up our freedom because those privacy statements allowed them to op openly own email. We can't sue private companies. So there's a very interesting dialectic taking place right now with the notion of free speech and these big conglomerates who own, uh, you know, net neutrality is a very idiotic thing that Tim Liu came up with probably to get tenure at Columbia. But the fundamental issue of net neutrality that was never discussed was the people who control the onboarding, Google and Facebook, these guys. So the notion of free speech, those the liberal guys who are against net neutrality didn't want to discuss. They didn't want to put the mirror in their own face and discuss the real violators of free speech who are people like Google and Facebook who essentially control the indexes and the thesauri that let us decide who we see and find. So my notion of free speech extends as a technologist to recognizing that we've, as, as, as a human, as Americans, we've lost a lot uh, when you look at Google and Facebook. Those two organizations, I believe, need to be busted up. You know, they've had, uh, they have way too much power. They don't live in time and space anymore. They live in another hypermedia. I think that your candidacy is definitely an interesting one. And was there anything else that you wanted to say before we uh, sort of wrap this up? Yeah, I, I think the key thing is, you know, when we look at our platform, and I wanted to just say a few uh, words about that, if that's okay. Um, of course. You know, when we, when we looked at the operating system of what we stand for, right, where this all comes, there's a lot of thoughtfulness to us, but we've also made it very simple. You know, our slogan is declare your independence. And what do we mean by that? We mean declare your independence from the establishment. And what is the establishment? And you know, we have a very particular definition of this. It is the confluence of what I call the military, 
industrial academic complex, which Eisenhower talked about in 1961 in his farewell speech. He called it the military industrial complex. By the way, he originally called it the military industrial academic complex. A science advice from MIT removed the word academic. And then Fulbright, a Democrat, in a famous speech in, I think, 7072, he called it the military industrial academic complex. Well, that big military, big corporations, and big academia believes they are the ones who know better. And my view is you know better, I know better, everyday people know better. So that's what we mean by declare your independence. And as a part of that sticks, our view is there are three pillars that help us go beyond just attacking them. Solutions are clean government, real health and real jobs. So what do we mean by clean government? Well, term limits. 80% of Americans want term limits. Why don't we have it? Voter IDs, really simple. Every third world country essentially has it. Why don't we have it? And then strict controls on how much you can spend. Um, you know, one dollar, one vote is one slogan we've come up with. So in Massachusetts, 4.3 million registered voters, you shouldn't be able to spend more than $4.3 million by any view. So those are sort of core principles. You handcuff these career politicians, let them go get jobs, go back to the farm. If not, they shouldn't even be allowed to participate. And my view is the term limits also goes to bureaucrats in the swamp. You know, you should flush them out of there on a continual cycle. When we talk about real health, so much noise was done on Obamacare and Romney care, but no one really talks about health. And I know you're up in Vermont. You got a lot of people into Second Amendment and eating well. Well, real food is real medicine. You know, Monsanto, Elizabeth Warren supported the Monsanto Protection Act. She came out against Bernie's GMO labeling bill. She recently voted yay for the Monsanto propaganda bill, as it's known. Well, health comes from what we put into our bodies. This is something my grandmother taught me as a healer in India. And pretty much everyone knows it when you really think about it logically. And when we look about jobs, you know, in Massachusetts, for every 17 skilled jobs, only one person is skilled. Think about that. The educational industrial complex has put uh, students into these massive predatory student loans that we don't have enough electricians. We don't have enough software engineers. We don't have enough med techs. And these jobs pay six figure salaries. So my view is free Votech schools, free farming. What I mean by that, if you go to a Votech school, you get your associate's degree and you work as an electrician, work as a plumber, you should get that relieved. And that's how we're gonna really uh, support this economy. So it's a very simple approach, just based on you know, uh, you know, know, looking at things rationally. And as a part of this, going back to one of your earlier questions, you know, am I left or right? Well, I'm against Monsanto, Elizabeth Warren's for them. So does that make me a far lefty? I don't know, It makes it's a trans ideological issue that we should have good, clean food. You look at the Paris Accords, I came out vehemently against them because it has nothing to do with pollution. It basically allows China to pollute another 11 billion carbon tons, and it allows Al Gore and his buddies to become trillionaires. So again, is that a right-wing issue? No, it's an issue about we're all against pollution, but the Paris Accords has nothing to do with pollution. It enables Goldman Sachs and Al Gore to make a lot of money. So I think the key thing that we have the opportunity sticks, you know, I, I appreciate you know your show, there's a, a number of people like yourself and hopefully, you know, myself and others who are starting to look at these topics rationally. It's not left or right, not liberal or conservative, not Republican or Democrat, but looking at them, what is the appropriate thing using our rational mind? I think our founders were deists. They believed there was a creator, whatever way you want to characterize that, there are natural laws. And our job as human beings, we're supposed to use our mind and body and soul, if you believe in that, to understand that, not to be religious you know, uh, cultists like this guy, uh, Gerald Holt or narcissists, 
<laughs> and I think that's the opportunity, man. So I'm really excited. And uh, I, I think we, as, uh, as America, have an opportunity with Trump's win. Man, he took a bomb to these guys, which was a necessary one. But, you know, he's limited what he can do in that swamp. So consider what I'm doing, sort of version 2.0 or 3.0 of that in Massachusetts. Now, I, I do believe you're having a conversation later on with Roaming Millennial as well. I had one with her, and I think she's going to go live. And uh, I think, you know, Alan uh, Erickson, who knows you, um, Alan wanted uh, us to have on. I think he was saying maybe me and Millennial Matt should get on and do a, a thing. But I think this is a great, I mean, I think we live in such a great time, and I think we're at a a point, an inflection point where we can go into darkness or we can go into a very beautiful, rich cultural renaissance. And uh, and I think people like us, you know, I think in the tradition of like Bertolt Brecht, we understand it's about performance art on one, but it's all about intelligence and acumen and bringing out real issues and going down to the depths of them and destroying people like this guy, Gerald Holt. I mean, these guys are insane people, literally moral narcissists that need to be exposed every step of the way. Same with Elizabeth Warren. It's the same ilk of people. I, I believe these people are diseased, mentally, seriously. All right, well, it was definitely interesting talking to you and good luck on your campaign. Thank you very much, Sticks, appreciate it. Peace out. Peace.